Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, November 22nd, 2019. Of course, I host WBT's Morning News every weekday morning from 5 until 8, and then two more hours with the governor, Pat McCrory, on the Pat McCrory Show. So I've been with the governor, what, two years? And yesterday I did something I've never done before. And this was because something was happening later that morning in Concord. So let's roll the clocks back just a little bit here. But I got to call an audible for a second here. I want to go to the WBT hotline and welcome to the Pat McCrory show because the children demanded it. I believe we do have the most famous former mayor to ever be on the Pat McCrory show. Do we not? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, good morning, Bo. It, this is your show. You don't still have the governor on next week. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is a this setup. Bo Thompson show. I wouldn't have called in. <laughs> this is a left-wing conspiracy. This is George Soros money going after me. I can't believe oh, that we have this, what, former, what was his name again? That Scott, he's not only a former mayor now, his name is going to be attached to the former Concord Regional Airport in just a few hours, officially. You are kidding me. As today... Are they going to put a sign, like, on the highway in the air and blimp of Scott Pageant Airport? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's getting confusing over here. You know, I've got the two streets named after this. And that confuses a lot of people. Now we we got the airport out. It is going to get confusing. I mean, think of the people in the air, how confusing it's going to be. I mean, you're going to see from the air Scott Pageant Elementary School, Scott Pageant yep. Airport, Scott Pageant Lane. You haven't been mayor, like, for 30 years, and they're still naming things after you. No, you've got your memory confused with mine. <laughs> uh, if, if you're just joining us, uh, this is, and I didn't tell the governor here we were going to oh, do this. Oh, gosh. But uh, I wanted to surprise him. For, oh, you I mean, surprised me uh, the most, on your last the most, show. The most po- on my last show. <laughs> well, according to uh, the, the, the Scott Padgett here, uh, you, you've already been gone from the show. <laughs> yeah, that sounds well, like Scott Patchen. Uh, oh, I remember I remember the governor when he was a moderate. He was a good man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Scott Padgett is going to uh, have his name permanently affixed to the Concord Regional Airport. Who's, who's going to come help you cut the ribbon? Elizabeth Warren? Uh... <laughs> See, here he goes. Here he goes. The, it will become the Concord Padgett Regional Airport. You are kidding me. I am Read not. that again. The Concord Paget Regional Airport. So is the city going to be changing that name now? <laughs> Instead of Concord, North Carolina, it'll be Concord Pageant, North Carolina? Is that next yeah, pageant? Uh, I, I don't want to be vain. We're not going that far. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the hey, you I would have really liked to have been invited to that ceremony uh, Saturday. Just read about it in the paper this morning. Philip Van Every gets a... Uh, a bronze statue, and it, according to what I read, he is a former mayor of Con- of Charlotte too. Is that right? Uh, Van Every is a former uh, mayor of Charlotte, and what what did he get now? Oh, he got a bronze statue there in uh, the city where he used to be the mayor governor, uh, <laughs> and and the trail of history, the trail of history. Van, Van Every got in the trail of history. Are you trying to make a point that I didn't get in the trail of history? I think the point speaks for itself. <laughs> I, I would never make that point. You would never make that point. No. You no. just rubbing salt in the wound. You know, my scab was just starting to kind of go over the bad cut. 
And now you have to bring up Phil Van Every. Don't they have other things named after Van Every already? Well, I don't know. He, just, he paid a few bucks in that Lance Cracker thing. But, <laughs> you know, it just, it just goes back to the, the conversation we had on there several months ago. I start writing down these names again. Stan Brookshire, Ben Douglas, John Belk, Jim Martin. And there just seems to be something missing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Douglas, the airport was named after him, right? That's Martin, right. there's a highway named after him. Who else? Did, John Belk, there, like everything is named after him. Yep. Who right. else did you mention? Stan Brookshire. Stan mm-hmm. Brookshire. Yep. Brookshire Freeway. Mm-hmm. And Van and Phil Van Every has a um, a bronze statue. A bronze statue. And you have an airport <laughs> and an elementary school and a road. Yeah. Two roads. <laughs> and, and I might point out that uh, by having his name attached to the airport now, he ne- there's a new logo for the airport no. that actually has his name in it. Isn't that right? It's it's right. You're right. It's a it's a beautiful logo, and oh, I'm very I'm very proud of that. I had nothing to do with that. Of course, nothing to do with the naming. But well, congratulations. Uh, today marks the 25th year of the uh, Concord Regional Airport, and in just a few hours, I used to fly out of there all the time. In fact, when I was governor, I'd fly out of the airport instead of taking the Charlotte Airport. I went through Concord. Will you ever fly into no, it? Again? Never again. Well, you know, maybe maybe that's the reason. Don't say it. Because you ignored their airport. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe. I'm I'm really started trying to think about this, Governor. (laughs) Because you know I like you. Oh, yeah, I can tell. (laughs) I'm thinking about these other people. It emphasizes that Philip Van Every was a native of Charlotte. And mm-hmm. I know you're not a native of Charlotte. Maybe that's one of the things that's holding you up. You think I'm being discriminated against? You think I'm a vi- maybe I'm a victim. Can I play the victim card like all you liberal Democrats do? Can I play oh, the victim on, card? You wore that label so many times. <laughs> but, 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 you know, maybe, I, and I can't think what Charlotte's waiting on, but maybe they're waiting on you to get a little older. Or, <laughs> maybe they're waiting maybe, for me to die. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I, I was going to say pass away, but maybe that's what they're waiting on. Um, I just can't figure it. But I'm on your team. If I can help you, <laughs> Scott, I, I would like. I'd like to start a petition to get something named there. I, I feel the love. I feel the empathy. I this feel, is the uh, the first. I feel guest. the brotherhood from you. This is the first guest I've ever surprised you and not told you. Did he just hang up on us? Uh, he's good. No, no, I'm right. <laughs> oh, shucks. That was up. me trying to get Charles to hang up. <laughs> Scott Padgett, congratulations. Scott Padgett, congratulations on having the fifth or sixth thing named after you. And, you know, my studio in uh, Lake James, we also named that the Scott, Scott Padgett Studio in, in uh, Nebo, North Carolina. They put a plaque. They put a plaque with your name in my house. It's, it's it's just getting ridiculous. Were, were you really that great of human being and mayor? I, it, you know, it's, it's what the people say. I can't <laughs> what they say. It's not just the people, it's the children, right? It's the children. It is, yes. Oh. The kids demanded it. Uh, hey, we appreciate you coming on uh, on short notice. Scott Padgett. Scott Padgett, this is quite a surprise. Congratulations, Mayor. Proud all of right. you. Thanks, Governor. Have a good day. Get all your bow on the go. His best of the week on WBT. This is Bo Thompson's WBT podcast. Panthers, Falcons, yesterday. 11 seconds to go. Atlanta, as we mentioned, three straight home games after this. Tampa Bay, the Saints, and then the Panthers. Carolina will go to New Orleans, then come back here and host Washington before going to Atlanta. Atlanta will improve to three and seven. The Panthers will drop to five and five. Matt Ryan takes a knee. That's it. With a disappointing final score, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, Atlanta 29 and Carolina three. Still hard to believe listening back to it now. And I know for our next guest, it's probably hard to believe too. I heard him in final thoughts yesterday talking about who are these Carolina Panthers. And it's difficult to pinpoint that. Because uh, some weeks, really good. Some weeks, 
yesterday. And uh, Mick Mixon joins us, the play-by-play voice. Mick, uh, how are you feeling 24 hours later? <laughs> a little, <laughs> little salty, I guess, like everybody who uh, watched that game or listened to it yesterday. You know, as Oak said in his final thoughts, and I, I agree, he, he said it very well. I mean, you know, your world kind of shrinks down now. If you win that game, now you can sort of polish up the bandwagon and, and get it out and see if anybody wants to hop on and you know, kind of back on serve after Green Bay. But losing that game at home yesterday in that way, now the, now the bandwagon's got to stay in the garage. Now you just got to – your singular focus just has to be New Orleans and try to figure out a way to play well in the Superdome. Five and five with a lot of teams ahead of you in the NFC and then some serious questions about – Beyond Christian McCaffrey, who you know, what's the what's the identity of this offense, and then probably defense and on special teams as well. And you know, I guess the the big picture, Mick, is you know, they're every bit a five and five five hundred team, which means you know, wildly uh, big swings of up and down of uh, San Francisco and Atlanta happens, but yet some really good wins uh, when Kyle Allen uh, took over as quarterback for an zero and two team. They went on a four game winning streak. So in the end, once you add it up, though, but this roller coaster is is very five hundred, and that won't be even close enough in the NFC to get the job done. Where ten. Wins has to be a minimum, if not 11, to make the playoffs. So, again, with six weeks to go, the goal is always to make the postseason. Uh, again, you only look at New Orleans this week and not worry about that at the moment. But uh, that seems like a, a distant dream right now until they get uh, this thing turned around. Yeah, and I think that's what would be disappointing to this coaching staff, too, and fans as well to Zoke, is that it would be one thing if this were just uh, you know, 500, just really not that good. I mean, it's probably – You've had a bunch of injuries or whatever, but I think that the coaches still feel and the team feels like this is a good football team in here somewhere. Just with the difficulty of putting it all together and, and sustaining it, you know, the, the Panthers had more plays yesterday, about equal in total yards. There were opportunities, but to get to, to have four interceptions, to have uh, two of 14 on third down. Eight penalties for almost 70 yards. The Falcons had three penalties. You give up a punt return, kind of scot-free, where Barner takes it in, somersaults into the end zone. It was just, it was just, seemed difficult for the Panthers to match the uh, the, the enthusiasm and the, the sort of the the zeal that that Atlanta brought to the game yesterday. They had it in New Orleans somehow or another, and they carried it through to Charlotte yesterday. Well, and I guess you have to try to adopt uh, whatever secret sauce they found uh, going into New Orleans this week for the Panthers because uh, they've got to go in and do the same thing. And uh, most of the time, uh, you know, that's a daunting thing. to. Get, I mean, it's always a daunting thing to go into that atmosphere. But Atlanta was in a lot worse shape than we were, and they went and did what they did. So you got to latch on to that in some way, right? I know. i got one buddy of mine that I, talk, I like talking football with. And for almost 10 years now, he's been telling me that Drew Brees has a dead arm that he's just got this popcorn arm that he's shot, he's used up, he can't make the throws. So I keep waiting for this to kick in. <laughs> but it hasn't yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe this will be the week. And he doesn't throw deep, but he's accurate, that's for sure. Bright note, everyone's been complaining about the run defense. That happened. And also, at no point, they want to rip a helmet off a quarterback and hit him over the head with it. So there were some bright notes yesterday. <laughs> oh, God. I still can't believe I still can't believe that. I just I read Peter King's mon- uh, Football Morning in America this morning. He transcribed the Joe Buck, Troy Aikman commentary and, and put it out there. What you know the, the horrific things that they were saying about the the, the gut wrenching pathos that they saw. So yeah, we could have worse problems here this morning in Charlotte. <laughs> well, and I, I can't remember uh, who tweeted this. I wish I could remember because it was I'd like to attribute it to him. But somebody said, "Now I understand why the Browns have a helmet as their logo." <laughs> <laughs> they use it for multi-purposes. Yes, yes. yes. Now, now it makes more sense. Uh, but and, and and you were talking about the run defense. Well, in, in a in a season of inconsistency, Mick, uh, the one thing that was consistent again yesterday, even though he didn't have a touchdown, nobody did for the Panthers. Uh, Christian McCaffrey continues. I mean, over a hundred yards, and what he's doing uh, still continues to amaze. Despite uh, the, you may not like the score at the end yesterday. This is just in him. I mean, he's obviously well-parented, but I think this would be Christian McCaffrey. If he were a roofer, if he installed cable TV, if he were a chef, 
um, if he sold insurance, no matter what, he has to he has to bring it every time. He would have to give maximum effort, and it's um, it's definitely humbling to watch him play and the combative spirit that he brings to every game. So I think it'll be up to the Panthers to figure out. And we thought we dialed into something with DJ Moore, and it could still be. I mean, the best could still be yet to be. But to find some other consistent weapons to make defenses pay for shadowing McCaffrey with extra defenders. Yeah, DJ, eight catches, 95 yards, almost had 100 yards for a third consecutive game. So some good things there. I don't think it's all bad. I think, you know, you kind of have to ride with what you got, right, with Kyle Allen at this point and, and see what you got in that as far as moving forward. And, Hopefully get uh, the number of wins you need along the way while you figure out what you got at quarterback. Yeah, well said, Zoke. I think that's our world right now. Yeah, and like you both said, uh, got pretty much got to win out, looks like, uh, to uh, get into the playoffs. We'll see. Uh, you, never, you never know. Any given Sunday, as I was explaining to my son the other day, the origins of that phrase, and hopefully this coming weekend we'll say, on any given Sunday, a team like Carolina can go into New Orleans and... Is that an Al Pacino movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wes Durham paid you a compliment by the voice of the Falcons. He said he, he listens to your show and thinks you got a chance. Thanks. We'll see you down in Atlanta Good to hear in you in the mornings, man. It's fun. Appreciate you tuning local. in. Yeah. You and Bo knocking it out. We could it's always good. use more listeners. We appreciate that. <laughs> right. Well, I hope he listens at uh, 7.50 every Monday morning because then he would hear... Nope. Mick Mixon? He's on at 7. So. Ah, well. we'll see you gotta, he, we have to move Mick to 6.50. That's why you have Radio.com Rewind, folks. You can pause live radio. It's a new feature at radio.com. See, Mick, you led me into a promo there. Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. <laughs> I'm here to serve. Yes, sir. Tonight at 6, it's Panther Talk on WBT with Eugene, Mick, and Jim. We'll, we'll hear from you then, Mick. Thank you. All right, then. Every Friday, the best of Bo in one convenient show. We call it Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. And good morning. It's Wednesday. It's hump day, November 20th. Bo Thompson here. Time to bring on our cybersecurity expert, Teresa Payton, with Fortalist Solutions locally. And, boy, she travels all across the country and the world, as you know if you listen to this segment each week. But, Teresa, it's it's become a thing where you are out in various places and, and people see you and they listen to the segment and they try to guess where you're going to be week to week. Yes. Um, yes, and I did. I learned about that on the soccer sidelines of the championship games. But uh, yes, this week, the Big Apple, New York City. I'm here today, and then tonight we'll be hopping a plane to go to the West Coast. Um, just a really great week out and uh, meeting with people, actually internationally, to talk about some of these major cybercrime issues that all businesses and consumers are facing. So you're in the Big Apple, and while we're uh, in, while you're in the Big Apple, let's talk about one of the anchor stores of all time in the Big Apple, Macy's, which, of course, is all across the United States, also in Charlotte. But uh, right on the doorstep of Black Friday next week and the holiday shopping season really kicking into high gear, Macy's has a, a hacking that we need to alert people about. And this is, on a broader scale, uh, having to do with Macy's checkout and my wallet uh, functions and and checkout bags or checkout carts on any website that you visit, uh, it's worth pointing out that even if you don't buy something these days, even if you you know take it almost to the finish line but not all the way there uh, hitting that confirm purchase button, you are giving up some of your personal information and it may be used in ways you don't realize. Yeah, and this is really unfortunate. As a matter of fact, I went running by Macy's, and I was thinking about them and thinking about this uh, data breach that's happened. And this is part of, for people who have been following kind of global online websites that take payment card data, bank card data, this is part of something called the Mage Cart breach. And what ended up happening, according to Macy's, was that unauthorized computer code was added to two different pages on Macy's.com. Now, for those of you listening who say, well, I don't shop at Macy's.com, I, I need you to listen. Just bear with Bo and I here because this is really important. This mage cart data breach is hitting all different types of sites, and it's not just online retailers. And Bo, you said something really important here. You don't just have to make a purchase to potentially have your data swept up in this breach. Just putting in your information to do comparison shopping, to, you know, kind of scope out what you might be buying for people for birthdays and holidays and, and other special occasions could put you at risk of your information being compromised. So one of the things you absolutely want to do 
is you want to make it a point to change your passwords. The other thing is think about when you are surfing online and potentially going to make a purchase online, have an email account you're using just for those purchases and not the other parts of your life. So that way, if a place you normally frequent falls prey to this mage cart breach that's hitting these global websites, you don't have to be as worried if they're going to get into the rest of your life. The other thing is, you know, I years ago froze all of my credit with the credit bureaus and I sleep better at night knowing it's permanently frozen. That may not be the right solution for everybody listening, but think about if you are a frequent shopper on Macy's.com, you may want to consider requesting a temporary freeze until we know more about this particular breach. Okay, so Disney Plus, it uh, was launched a week ago yesterday. I know that uh, you immediately signed up, so did I. Uh, We're already big fans of The Mandalorian, both of us. We've been, uh, you know, trading reactions back and forth, but... Uh, Disney Plus did not go off without a hitch. Uh, We almost heard that immediately after the launch last week. And a week later now, we're starting to learn about people who have had their their data compromised thanks to the Disney Plus startup, correct? Yes and no. So what's really interesting about this, and I'm so glad we're covering this, though, is what it appears to be is that Disney Plus credentials are being traded and sold on the dark web. What's interesting is, is Disney has checked. They have not found evidence of a data breach. So what's possible here is those email accounts and passwords were potentially part of one of the other large data breaches that have been reported over the last year. And they just assume, well, Disney Plus is a hot new ticket item. I happen to have this treasure trove of stolen email accounts and passwords from these other shopping sites, from other data breaches that have occurred. I'm going to just try it and see if it works. And it did, because why? Passwords stink. I mean, they're so hard. They're hard to remember. People do recycle them. I don't blame. This is a judge-free zone here. Um, And so because people have recycled them, they're using it to actually get into Disney Plus. Then they were buying, uh, basically trading and selling those on the dark web. So, yes, it is your Disney Plus credential, but it's because they use something that, you know, basically they're recycling it and just getting a best guess. So Disney stands by and says no security breach as far as they've seen. They believe this is a matter of, you know, people using emails and passwords. So if you're listening to this, first thing I'd like everybody to do, please change your password out of an abundance of caution. And then also be taking a look at the email account you're using there and deciding whether or not you just want to stay the course and use that account and just change your passwords pretty regularly. Or do you want to consider getting a new account and tying it to Disney Plus? Now, some people may say, I don't really care if somebody else is enjoying Disney Plus on my dime. I don't do other things there. The thing is, is these uh, people taking over the accounts, they were changing your password on you and locking you out of the account you paid for. Well, uh, and, and let me just make sure I'm hearing you right. And, and there may be people who listen to you and me week to week and say, ah, oh, you guys sound like a broken record with this password thing. And you've been talking about this for years. But essentially, uh, you're saying that Disney, there's no there's no breach or hack within the Disney uh, launch last week. But people have gone out and found your passwords from other places and then come back around to use that against you signing up for Disney because you happen to use the same passwords there and in other places. That's exactly right, Bob. That is exactly what's happening. So these other data breaches that have happened, and there's been so many, like I hate to give names, but it's like, you know, there's been data dumps of I've got Amazon credentials, I've got um, Zillow credentials, I've got Zoom, I've got Experian, I've got Equifax. Like all of this different data is sitting on the dark web. And so some enterprising cyber criminals started taking emails, email addresses, and passwords and recycling them and just trying them on Disney Plus saying, this is the hot new place. Everybody's going to be here. Everybody's signing up. I'm just going to try. And when they hit the jackpot, they turned around and said, this is a legitimate Disney Plus credential. Who wants to buy it from me? And they were selling them from between 3 and $11, which is like, it's not that expensive. Just get your own account, okay? Like, yeah. leave my account alone. But that's exactly what was happening, Both Disney says, we don't see a data breach. So this is a case 
of people overtaking your identity by using what they believe you're probably going to recycle and use your email account and a password that they've seen as part of a different data breach. Okay, so uh, this is all good refresher stuff because it's going to come into play again. Passwords always come into play when we head into Cyber Monday and Black Friday shopping, and you are going to be here. It's become tradition now. Next week, the day before Thanksgiving on the 27th, you will be in studio with us for at least an hour and a half, uh, taking calls and uh, giving out uh, information, uh, tips as people uh, head into the holiday holiday shopping season. So looking forward to that, and I know we'll uh, continue the conversation in more detail next week. Absolutely. I cannot wait. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I know that Charles just loves um, talking to people about the different <laughs> questions they have, so we're going to be doing, you know, call into the show with your questions, and I'll definitely bring a signed copy of my book to give away to one of the callers, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's one of my favorite, favorite times of the year is to come in studio with you, Bo, and and the wonderful crew over there at WBT and actually get a chance to interact with the listeners. It's really, really fun. Well, right back at you. We'll see you in uh, less than a week now. And until then, uh, have safe travels. Okay. Thanks, Bo. Be safe out there. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Just for you planners out there, I don't mean to alarm you, but uh, I, know, I know you know a week from today is Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. Already? Yes. Okay. A week from today I don't is have turkey yet. Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, you better get on that. You may not, you may not want to after this next story that I have, but uh, thirty four days until Christmas, yay, and forty days until New Year's Eve. Wow. So seven thirty four forty. There you go. Don't say I didn't warn you. But uh, all right, this next story. If you're eating breakfast, I'm going to warn you. You may want to turn the radio down for a minute. <laughs> Because uh, Pam was talking about uh, getting that turkey. You may not want a turkey after this, but <laughs> seriously, though. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you hear these stories a lot. How much bacteria is on certain things that you use every day? And uh, WBTV did a story about this, uh, it's like five, ten years ago. And, you know, things like the handle in the bathroom, the handle on the door, mm-hmm. uh, the steering wheel in your car, that kind of thing. Well, all right, so it's 2019. Everybody carries a what? Phone. A phone. How dirty is that phone? Oh, gosh. Are you ready for some of this? Now, this is a survey done by uh, a company, a white light company. You know, so the ones that can go in and see the, the germs on the on the, the hotel beds and places like that. Uh, a company called Vital Vio or Vio. And uh, they say a new survey of 1,200 Americans and their cleaning habits finds that one in four have never cleaned their phone. Ugh. 23% have never cleaned their phone. Has everybody in this room cleaned their phone before? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Frequently. How, frequently. How, what, is, what does frequently mean? Like once every three weeks, probably. <laughs> okay. That's, that's not so frequent, <laughs> you know, but okay. Well, well, the, well I mean, you know. It, the dust gets down behind the protective screen and it gets nasty. Yeah. Well, no. So frequently to us in this room, that may not seem like very frequently. Now, after you hear some of these numbers, that's a lot. Okay. A lot. Okay. <laughs> Let me find some more of these numbers to throw out at you here. Uh, okay. So broken down by gender, more than one in four men have never cleaned their phone. One in five women say that they've never cleaned their phone. All right. Here's where it gets interesting. When both hands are busy, two in five Americans, 41%, say they don't hesitate to put their phones in their mouth. Ugh. Anybody ever done that? I tuck no. it like under my chin sometimes if my hands are but tied. Never, never bite down on it. No, no, that's disgusting. Under my armpit. Uh, yeah, I've done that before. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah. That's where oh. I put my other kid. Over half of the survey's <laughs> respondents, fifty-one percent, admit to putting their keys in their mouth. Fifty-four percent have put a credit card in their mouth. Thirty-four percent. You put a credit card in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. guilty. Thirty-four percent have even put cash in their mouth. Mm, I used to do that until somebody reamed me for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cash. I mean, yeah, cash. I'm, but, but, please don't go down the road of putting loose change in your mouth. No, That's no. Probably a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, but here's the one. I remember working here back in the day. I won't say who it was, but this is like this is like 15 years ago. There was a guy, a buddy of mine, who was mortified because we we have several bathrooms here, but the two the two most the two closest ones to us are 
are single units. So you go in and shut the door, it's just you. Uh-huh. Then there's one down the hall that is a communal bathroom. There's several stalls, right? So he came out, at, we were had a, a, a staff meeting, and he came out of the bathroom the same time as, as this other guy, and he was mortified the whole meeting. He didn't pay t- attention to anything that happened in that meeting because he watched this guy use the restroom and not wash his hands. Uh-huh. So for, forever and ever, that guy had the stigma of not washing his hands. But wait, all right? So fast forward to 2019, 88% of Americans usually bring their phones with them into the bathroom. Guilty. Yeah, uh-huh. I think I think every, Okay, but it's one thing bringing it in if it stays in your pocket. Do you get it out and use it while Absolutely. You, you, this, that's yes. my only free time of yes. course. So do you clean your phone after you leave the I, restroom? I do, not Okay, so not, See, every, not every time. time. <laughs> not every time, but I do. Like I wipe it down with like alcohol. Like my bathroom at home is incredibly clean. Incredibly clean. I, I Clorox it all the time. I, I use all kinds of stuff, but like public restaurant, I'm guilty of that, and I shouldn't. Forty six percent say they always take their advices with them into a public restroom. Ninety three percent of people tend to take their phones in the bathroom. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, parents. Ninety three percent more than non parents. Eighty three percent. I don't really know what that means. And then here's one more. Uh, well, here's a couple more. 48% of Americans regularly eat lunch at their desk. Only one in three clean their desk once a week. Oh, I thought somebody cleaned my desk for me when I was gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I see how you're getting out of these. Yeah, I, I, the statistics must stop. That last one about uh, how many people actually... Uh, and, and, and really, this is what it comes down to. It's one thing to take your phone in the bathroom. It's another thing to use your phone while you're doing... What you're multitasking, your business, right? Yeah. yeah, and I would venture to say that 95% of people listening right now don't clean their phone when they leave the restroom. So I'm gonna have to burn mine and go get a new one. Yeah, yeah, new phone after every visit to the restroom, <laughs> <laughs> or just an alcohol swab will right. be fine. All right, the best of the week on to men. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. But waiting in the wings first, we have our election night tandem of Trisha Cotham and Kenny Smith. Get their thoughts on last night's fifth Democratic debate in Atlanta. Before before I bring them on, I want to play one clip here. You knew that Pete Buttigieg was going to be the target of many on the stage last night, and sure enough. I know that it's par for the course in Washington to take remarks out of context, but that is outlandish, even by the standards of today's politics. Are are you saying that you didn't say that? I was talking about U.S.-Mexico cooperation. We've been doing security cooperation with Mexico for years, with law enforcement cooperation and a military relationship that could continue to be developed with training relationships, for example. Do you seriously think anybody on this stage is proposing invading Mexico? That, that's not I'm what talking I said. About that's not what I said. Up, I'm that's talking about building said. up alliances. And if your question is about experience, let's also talk about judgment. One of the foreign leaders you mentioned meeting was Bashar al-Assad. I have, in my experience, such as it is, whether you think it counts or not, since it wasn't accumulated in Washington, enough judgment that I would not have sat down with a murderous dictator like that. Congresswoman Gabbard, let me let you... Okay, so Tulsi Gabbard... ...whether you would send our troops to Mexico to fight cartels, and your answer was yes. The fact-checkers can check this out. But your point about judgment is absolutely correct. Our commander-in-chief does need to have good judgment. And what you've just pointed out is that you would lack the courage to meet with both adversaries and friends to ensure the peace and national security of our nation. I take the example of those leaders who have come before us, leaders like JFK, who met with Khrushchev, like Roosevelt, who met with Stalin, like, Donald like Trump Reagan, who met... Like Reagan, who met and worked with Gorbachev. These so issues- Tulsi Gabbard and right there Pete Buttigieg obviously uh, sparring last night. You had uh, Tulsi Gabbard sparring with a lot of people. That's one of the underlying themes or uh, takeaways I know from me. Uh, let's bring on Kenny Smith. He's with us now. Kenny, good morning. Morning, bud. Trisha Cotham with us as well. Trisha, how are you? I'm doing great. So, Tricia, you watched this last night. Tulsi Gabbard got more face time than I think she has at any other debate. And uh, there was more of a focus, like I said, on Pete Buttigieg because of where he falls in the polling numbers right now. Yeah, Tulsi certainly had some um, 
sparring incidents with Pete Buttigieg and Senator Kamala Harris. I mean, she certainly went on that debate stage, I think, looking to go after them and take some jabs. I think what she didn't expect is for Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg to jab so strongly back at Tulsi Gabbard that it made it look like Tulsi's actions were um, weak compared to their responses back. Kenny, do you concur there? I think that's a great point, but I must... One thing I'll admit is that I don't think there'll be anybody left in Mexico to invade if their open borders policy they continue to support happens. Um, but I, I thought it was an interesting debate. Tulsi got more FaceTime. I was following the face, uh, the, the tracking the times on Twitter. Uh, the first 30 minutes felt like an Elizabeth Warren press conference. Uh, Tom Steyer, you know, had minimal time. You got Andrew Yang uh, finally gets in at about the 9.29 mark. They have too many people on stage. Most of these candidates don't have a real chance to win president. But I'll tell you, I do think something's interesting. I think you got Cory Brooker and Senator Klobuchar. I think they're angling for a possible either VP or position within a, an administration. And I do think that those two probably still have a lot to gain from getting additional face time in the debate. Uh, Tricia, Joe Biden last night, uh, several gaffes. I, I played a clip about a half hour ago where he was talking about uh, domestic violence and using the word punch <laughs> several times. Which, and, and that's another interesting thing about last night is I, I don't remember a debate that had this much uh, you know, interaction from the crowd as last night's. I mean, this was MSNBC. This, this is basically, I mean, the home turf of all home turfs for these candidates. But uh, it was an interesting dynamic last night, I thought. Well, and, and that moment certainly was cringeworthy when he was talking about domestic violence and then, um, you know, really made a mistake using the word punch several times. But, you know, Joe Biden's been having gaffes for over 30 years, and clearly the voters, it doesn't really bother them. And when we look at polls, um, certainly, you know, he's not polling as well as he would like to be in Iowa. It's not a huge surprise. But when it really starts to matter in South Carolina, no one can catch up to him. So I think that shows that these gaps do not really matter and that these debates do not really matter because we've seen good performances at times by Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. They've not caught up. Well, let me let me let me hang on a point you just made, because I want to end it by asking this question. Uh, Kenny, you said you thought there were too many people on the stage. Uh, Tricia, you're saying that uh, these debates last night in the grand scheme of things don't matter much. Couldn't you make the argument that possibly just possibly the ultimate candidate wasn't even on the stage last night? If you bring in Deval Patrick, if you bring in uh, Michael Bloomberg or even bring in, yes, Hillary Clinton's name still out there. I think the only way one of those candidates makes it, and maybe Hillary, is would be through some sort of contested slash brokered convention. I think it's going to be hard at this point probably to get on uh, every ballot that you would need. Yep. Um, but I, and on, two, on two things, and then I'll let Trish have the last word. One is I think these are more than Biden's gas. He is not the Joe Biden that debated Paul Ryan, and that's more and more evident every debate. And then again, I say this every time. I still say the big winner is Trump as a Republican, watching them debate the nuances of which is a better way to raise your taxes is not going to win uh, middle class voters. So I still I still think these folks all have a long way to go to make up headway in that regard. All right. Thirty seconds, Tricia. You have the last word on this. Um, certainly have no concern about Deval Patrick ending the race or Michael Bloomberg at all. I think the person to always keep your eye on is Hillary Clinton. I think she's always inching to get in. Um, Joe Biden had a strong night. He he just did. He has a tremendous legacy and is getting a lot of votes. And, you know, in a primary, you really do have to win a tremendous amount of African-American votes. And he is running away 
with those votes, even when you have African-American candidates on stage. So I think that really tells you something. Elizabeth Warren, once again, remained a constant, steady, uh, consistent, on-message candidate. She was unrattled. You might dislike her policies and find them extremely out there. However, in terms of doing her job as a candidate and looking presidential, she certainly does that and has done that every time. Trisha Cotham and Kenny Smith, i got to stop it there. Both of you, I appreciate it. Longtime election analyst, and uh, we'll keep watching as this thing keeps percolating along. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Elsa, the past is not what it seems. Go to the enchanted lands and into the unknown. Promise me we do this together, okay? Quick question. Is the whole putting us in mortal danger going to be a regular thing? That's my sister! Ever a dull moment with you two. Frozen 2. Ready PG. Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. I'm profiling Mr. Rogers. Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood. It is WBT's Friday morning news. I'm Bo Thompson, and on the WBT hotline, Sean O'Connell. But the real question is, where is Sean O'Connell today? I I think this is quite the long-distance call. (laughs) <laughs> Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, uh, and we are here for the Jumanji, the next level press event. Um, not that the film was uh, shot here. I believe they shot it uh, some in Atlanta. I know that much. Um, but then they jumped around to a bunch of different locations around the world. But um, when The Rock and Kevin Hart want to do their junket in Cabo San Lucas, um, the rest of us come down here to interview them. So yeah. that's why we're here. Yeah, I think so. And this movie is due uh, next month, right? Uh, near Christmas time. And uh, the, the the first movie, uh, while loosely based on the original Robin Williams movie, was pretty much a movie unto itself. And it did uh, it did gangbusters business. It really did. And I think that's why, you know, they're all back together for a sequel. Because that first movie, if you remember, it went up against... Um, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and people kind of thought it was going to get buried, but um, it, it overperformed because people really loved the new concept. It's, it's more of a, um, an updated video game, a, a console game almost, and uh, these guys jumped into Avatars, teenagers jumped into Avatars, played by, you know, The Rock, Kevin Hart, uh, Karen Gillan, and Jack Black, and this time out, they're introducing Danny DeVito and Danny Glover to the mix, and then taking it uh, to all new locations. So it's one of those sequels that just keeps building on the concept of the original and also delivering a lot of what you loved about the first movie. So this is the last time you and I will talk before Thanksgiving, and we have one of the biggest movie weekends of the year upon us today and two huge movies. And I'll start with a sequel that I thought would have come a lot sooner than this one has, given the success of the original Frozen. But here we are. Frozen 2 is finally here today. It is, and it's, I think it took a long time because of the songwriting process, but also cracking the story. I know that Disney really was adamant about not just delivering another Frozen movie, you know, simply because the first one was so successful. That Those characters are beloved now at this point, and the music, of course, has to be uh, up to the standards of the original film. So it took them six years to crack it. And, and what I'll say is if you loved the first Frozen, you're going to get a lot more of, of what you got the first time through. It's, you know, it's the two sisters and the bond that they share, exploring more of their story, comedic relief by Olaf. It's, it's memorable songs that your kid's probably going to be dialing into. But at the same time, if, if you saw Frozen and didn't quite understand, you know, what the big hoopla was, I'm not sure that this movie's going to convince you uh, one way or the other. Uh, that, you know, that, that it's a property that, that people get behind. It's really successful, but it's very different, you know, from what Disney does. And I find it interesting in that Disney animation up to this point doesn't really do a lot of sequels. And now all of a sudden, with this, with Wreck-It Ralph 2, I know they're planning on doing another Zootopia. Uh, they're really opening up the, uh, the door to the terms of what movies they make sequels for, and uh, it's just really curious to see how they're doing this and what, what properties they choose to go forward on. Um, but, yeah, I expect Frozen to do really well. 
I'm just not quite sure that, you know, if you didn't love the first one, you're going to you're going to really get a lot out of this second one. Well, we have it up against a movie that is about something kid based, but I think it's important not to make the mistake of saying this is a kids movie. It's rated PG and younger people can see this, but adults, older people are going to get the most out of this. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? A beautiful day in the neighborhood and the long-awaited Tom Hanks portrayal of Fred Rogers. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. It, yeah, and, and you're basically going to see just how good Tom Hanks is as Fred Rogers. But I want to let people know, this movie's being advertised as, you know, a Mr. Rogers film, and it's not necessarily that. And that's going to sound really strange if you've seen the trailers, because that's all that they are leaning into. But, but the story of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is more about this journalist who's played by Matthew Reese, who, you know, based on a true story back in the day, was uh, given a profile assignment that he was supposed to write up a story about Fred Rogers. And this guy considered himself to be more of a hard-hitting journalist. He wanted to be out in the field reporting on war and politics and just thought that the Fred Rogers profile was beneath him. And it's about how, you know, interacting with Fred Rogers changed his life. But you get a lot of focus on the journalist and problems that he's having with his father, played by Chris Cooper. And, and Tom Hanks is truly in a supporting role. So it's not as major... Of a, of a Fred Rogers, Mr. You know, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood movie as people might expect. There was a documentary that came out uh, most recently called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Confusing with the titles, I know. That documentary is way more about Fred Rogers, but this is just a chance to get to see Tom Hanks playing an American icon, uh, but, but an American icon who helped a journalist along at a particular point in his life. And I think people might be confused if they're going into it thinking they're going to get the Fred Rogers story. Well, and you mentioned the documentary. That features old footage of Fred Rogers. I think the real bottom line question to this, no matter who you are, is do you buy Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers? Uh, what's the answer to that? <sighs> Me, personally, um, it's not that I didn't buy him, but I never stopped seeing Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, it's not like he completely, like when Christian Bale played Dick Janey, I didn't see Christian Bale at all. Um, when I see Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers, I see Tom Hanks doing a very good Fred Rogers impersonation, but it's never not Tom Hanks to me. Well, and, and Tom Hanks is a national treasure. We all know that. But it is a unique situation where you have a guy who's played so many different characters that flow through your head. He's playing a guy who there's only one, Mr. Rogers. So competing forces, I imagine it is a, a bit of a tough thing to untangle in your mind. Yes, for sure. And the question will be come to, will Tom Hanks compete in the Oscars? Um because uh, he's going to have to go in the supporting actor category. And this year, as we get closer to the awards and we talk about it, that supporting actor category is going to be stacked with amazing talent. And uh, while Tom Hanks is definitely an Academy favorite, and here he is playing an icon, uh, I could see him being on the outside looking in when all this is said and done. All right, so final thing. Two episodes in, and the third one drops today of Disney's The Mandalorian. What, what are you thinking so far? I'm loving it. Uh, clearly, now that we're able to talk about Baby Yoda, uh, that has become a uh, a milestone uh, in the pop culture realm. It's one of the most adorable characters I've ever seen. Uh, pairing the hardened bounty hunter of the Mandalorian uh, with this Baby Yoda character that he has to protect, I think is a great way to stretch out for the first couple of, you know, eight episodes of this first season. And, um, yeah, I mean, it really does feel like uh, a throwback to the, Return of the Jedi era Star Wars, and, and I'm kind of disappointed that we're a little bit disappointed that we're seeing this as a TV show and not as a movie when we had to see, you know, Solo, which to me was very disappointing. Uh, and I wish that they sort of put their efforts into a Mandalorian film. But listen, it's on Disney+. Plus. You can I, I've gone back and rewatched the first two episodes a couple of times. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, and I can't wait to see where the rest of the story goes. All right, so let me uh, throw my theory at you. And I, I haven't really decided whether I really believe this or not, but if it comes true, then remember where you heard this. But So okay. so this takes place after Return of the Jedi, right? The Mandalorian? Uh, yes, it does. Yes, okay, yes. so uh, what, what if this Rise of Skywalker movie uh, coming out in a few weeks, what if 
the Mandalorian showed up in that movie. Could that ever happen? Uh, yes, Be- I suppose. Because, think about this. So if you've been watching The Mandalorian, that's a huge big payoff of a character that you've really come to love. If you haven't been watching The Mandalorian, and I guess this is the capitalist uh, money-grabbing guy part of me imagining this, but if you haven't been watching it and Disney's trying to get more and more subscribers, then if you watch that movie in a few weeks and The Mandalorian shows up, what do you have to do immediately upon leaving the theater? you got to go home and sign up for Disney Plus and figure out who this guy is. Boy, Bo, that is so cold-hearted and cynical. <laughs> You're only thinking from a business perspective. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to be continued. Maybe we'll we'll come back around this conversation in, in January. So uh, we'll leave it there for now. Sean O'Connell, uh, I've never been able to say this, but live from Cabo this morning. Uh, it must be nice. Thanks for uh, checking in. I know you're busy. I appreciate it. No problem, brother. Talk to you soon. And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will, too. See you next time. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT. Plus, extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Time to bring on Dr. Robert Thompson from the Blyer Center for Television and Pop Culture Studies at Syracuse. Dr. Thompson, hope you're well. I hope you are, too. Have you been watching these impeachment public hearings so far? I have. Uh, of course, they're not on every day, but uh, and, and they're long. They're usually, what, five hours of uh, stuff, six hours uh, chronologically. Uh, but it's interesting. The numbers are now in for the first uh, uh, two days. Right. About 12.7 million uh, on the second day, down from 13-something uh, uh, on the 13.8, uh, I think, on the first day, which is a lot of people, no question about that. But we should uh, compare it to when uh, James Comey, the uh, FBI, former FBI director, uh, uh, did his testimony back in, what was it, uh, 2017, that got 19.5, almost 20 million people. Michael Cohen got 15.8, uh, both of which are way higher than uh, either of these days have. Um, these are about the same as the Robert Mueller hearing. So a lot of people watching this, but by no means the blockbuster that everybody was saying it would be. Well, because uh, you don't really have a star here. You don't have someone and you really don't today and you don't the only person this week that's remotely uh someone that you might have have be recognized on the street is uh, Gordon Sondland, but then again, you still got to be paying attention to what's going on here to know that name. I I think uh, or I would venture to say that uh when you have all these eyes and ears on these hearings, it's more about uh what the questioners are going to do than it is what the actual uh testifying uh people are. It is and it is- it is kind of disturbing, as all of the uh, late-night comics and Saturday Night Live and lots of others have, have pointed out, uh, this idea that there was uh, all this anticipation of what kind of television show this was going to be, and that the Democrats were going to have to make it a great television show if they were going to uh, achieve what they wanted. The idea now that uh, televised hearings are much more about showbiz than the information they get, and I think that's exacerbated by the fact that Unlike Watergate, where we kept getting this kind of drip, drip, drip of new uh, revelations and stories, the famous cancer on the presidency uh, uh, statement from John Dean and the Butterfield bit where we found out there were tapes and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Here, I think there's a sense that so many of the, the, the big, shocking details of this are things that we already know and that somehow seem to have, uh, uh, you know, not been become as shocking as everybody thought they should be. Um, and therefore, as one watches, there, there's no sense of, uh, I think a lot of people think there isn't going to be any groundbreaking information because we've got so much of it already. Well, tomorrow should be an interesting today, top to bottom, because you have, uh, first of all, you have uh, another round of, of hearings on Capitol Hill. And then tomorrow night, MSNBC will have the latest Democratic debate, and notable about this one is it's going to be all female-led as far as the moderators go. 
ago, and, and you have obviously a field that's starting to whittle down a little bit, but th- there's also the dynamic now of you're hearing about a lot of people that may get in this race later, like a Deval Patrick or a Michael right. Bloomberg or even a Hillary Clinton. You're starting to get the idea that maybe the ones we're watching tomorrow night might <laughs> right. not ne- they might not necessarily be the ones that in the end are on the ticket. Yeah, you're right. The, the ones that are going to be on the, in the debate are whittling down, but the others seem to be doing uh, just the opposite. And there is a sense that this is uh, by no means, it is still a fluid kind of, uh, uh, kind of situation. And so many of these debates, I mean, uh, uh, you know, back in the uh, early television debate thing, which didn't happen until 1960, there were four Kennedy-Nixon debates, but by that time they were the candidates for uh, the president. And it was really close. I think the first of the two uh, Kennedy-Nixon debates, if I'm not mistaken, the first one was September 26th, so getting very, very close to the election before right. they finally got around to uh, uh, debating. And then we didn't have presidential debates for uh, quite a long time after that first one. And now, uh, you know, we're not even uh, into uh, uh, 2020 yet, and I've lost count of how many of these uh, primary debates we've had. Yeah, uh, Rachel Maddow, Andrea Mitchell, Kristen Welker uh, from NBC and the National Parker will be doing the questioning tomorrow night. So I want to shift gears away from politics to Disney Plus. It was a week ago today that the streaming service was launched by Disney. Uh, I assume you've had a chance to see some of these uh, offerings, maybe The Mandalorian so far, the big Star Wars uh, series. But the bigger story, uh, or one of the biggest stories, unfortunately, for Disney has been the glitches, uh, the issues people have had uh, with the selection that once you get there, it's not all that maybe they thought would be in the catalog, and then and then disclaimers have become a big story too. Yeah, I was one of the people that experienced those uh, glitches. It was supposed to uh, launch what officially at six a.m. Uh, on the twelfth. Uh, I kept trying to get on it. It was pleased to take my credit card number. There was no problem with that. Uh, but I wasn't able to get programming until well past noon on that first uh, uh, on that first day. Um, and there are some interesting. I've seen all the uh, new stuff. I, I don't think the Mandalorian was anything that uh, knocked my socks off. I kind of like that new Jeff Goldblum document series that he did. Um, but you're right, when they go back to the program, uh, the old programming in the catalog, there's a number of shows, and we all know this from old animated stuff, that have some things that are, uh, you know, uh, really racist. And uh, uh, they included this very brief disclaimer, this program is presented as originally created, it may contain outdated cultural depictions. I think it's perfectly fine to put a disclaimer. Matter of fact, I think it's called for to put some kind of statement before really old catalog stuff uh, to point out, in fact, that it's going to have this kind of material that uh, many people uh, may find offensive. That disclaimer, though, doesn't really say much. It may contain outdated material. It doesn't claim its own ownership. This stuff was actually done uh, by uh, Disney compared to when uh, uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons were released had a much more extensive contextual You bring up a good point. I've heard all these stories about glitches and issues with uh, Disney Plus, but not a single one about glitches and issues with it taking your credit card number. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Thompson. That, that, they've, uh, uh, that they managed to, uh, yes. uh, to do effortlessly. <laughs> Works like a charm. Imagine right, that. Exactly. Uh, have a great day, sir. I appreciate you coming on. You too. Thanks. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. You know, just when I thought I'd gotten this out of my system. (laughs) Never. Not that I ever wanted it in my system, but when this movie was released several years ago, you could not avoid this song, even if you didn't have kids. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The cold never bothered me anyway. Yeah, well, guess what, John Moore? <laughs> guess what, Pam? <laughs> There's a new one out today. My this is the one you're going to be hearing if you have kids. Get ready. Into the end.
So Frozen 2 is out today. We, we talked to Sean O'Connell earlier, and this is one of those songs that's going to be omnipresent. And, and even so, if that one doesn't work for you, then they have a, a, a radio-friendly one for the older kids done by, you ever heard of uh, Panic at the Disco? Yes. Yeah, well, here's Panic at the Disco doing the same song. Actually, let me pull up the wrong one. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. I just like to warn parents when when these things are coming. And, uh, oh, they're coming. You you cannot uh, stop Frozen Two. You can only hope to contain it. It's out today in theaters, and I have no doubt it's going to do uh, major major business over the Thanksgiving weekend. But hey, you know, got to let everybody know about everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Why not? I got to let everybody know about this too, because this struck my attention yesterday. Uh, John Moore is jacked up on something today. <laughs> yes, I don't, I've noticed. It's not. It's, it's not one cup of coffee. Maybe eight cups of coffee. Or <laughs> did you actually go to the vending machine and, and buy the Monster Energy Drink? Is that what no, it was? I avoided uh, that this morning. You but you're right about the coffee, coffee intravenously. Yeah. It was right. quick. <laughs> so if John Moore lived on the West Coast, which he does not. No. He never could. He couldn't He couldn't survive that atmosphere. <laughs> but if he did live on the West Coast, he might know something about a new fad called dopamine fasting. Have you heard of this? I no. recently. Could be, uh, or it sounds like Silicon Valley's latest wellness trend. During a so-called dopamine fast, extreme practitioners will abstain from any experience that brings them pleasure. That could include, but doesn't mean it's not limited to, food, exercise, social media, sex, video games, talking, anything that, you know, gives you some sort of positive stimulant. So they have decided, this uh, community of people, that if you deprive yourself of all of these things, that when you come back to, it all floods back and it's that much better when you haven't had it for a while, right? So some people go as far as to avoid making eye contact or talking with people or even doing things, you know, moderately fast movements, whatever that means. It's all an, an effort to avoid any kind of stimulation. So uh, fasters believe that they are resetting their brain's reward system. That's so, insane. I couldn't come to work. We, you no, know, you I mean, couldn't. But basically it means you got to go live in a – you have to go cut yourself off from society for – However long you think you're, it's going to take you to to build up that. And that's my question. Like, how long does that take someone? Can someone just be like, oh, I'm going to do this for 24 hours and then think that it has that big of an effect on them? Taking a break from small from sins and small pleasures, they try to reset the brain's reward system. Uh, let's see. After a fast, they report feeling more focused and finding more joy in the activities they'd avoided. Now, there are those or plenty of people who say there's no science to this. This is just a fad. But I don't know. That is a good question. How long How long do you need to dopamine fast in order to get the rush back? Right. Because, you know, I mean, you could, you could uh, deprive yourself for an hour or two, and maybe you, you get like a... I, I don't know. Right, because everybody's different. But, again, I, I feel like we're working in a room today with a guy who's done it. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this. I haven't had a soda in a couple of days. Uh, this is day three of the... Uh, Anti-soda. I'm not against sodas because I want to sample some a little later, possibly. But uh, taking a little break. I was about to say, this is kind of a bad time to tell you that (laughs) later on in the show, we actually, the people from Coke have sent us the new uh, holiday-themed beverages. Did you know about it? No. Am I invited for this tasting? Well, I'm I'm telling you about it. I I hope you come back. (laughs) Wait, this will be like saving up for my dopamine. I've avoided it for a couple of days. But wait a minute. Why are you fasting from from sodas? We're just taking a little break. You know, a few years ago when I got off of them for a while, I lost about 40 pounds, so... Seeing if I can replicate so that. So easy for but you guys. But you're wired. It, sounds, it seems yeah. like you've like tripled it, not quit doing well, it. Well, I increased my coffee level to offset <laughs> oh, the soda. Okay. All right, so co- coffee instead of soda. Because yeah. I've told all of you who listen to the show, I, I don't drink coffee. I mean, it may seem like the strangest thing ever. I've really? Ever, I never told you that? No. I don't drink coffee. I hate coffee. I don't drink soda. Really? Yeah, I Why? fasted from soda back in high school and haven't gone back Since to it. Since high school? Oh. High school. Why? What was I just, the reason? It was just one of those. It was just like that extra sugary and caffeine. And I liked it. I liked it so much. I was constantly drinking it. Like, that's basically that the only thing that was in my house. And now, like, my son doesn't even drink it. It's water, juice, and milk that's in my fridge, and that's it. So you ditched the soda. I did soda in high school. But you, you, it's all dopamine now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so wait. You just wait till I get a sip today. Uh-oh. You think John Moore's bad. So John Moore's <laughs> fasting from soda until later on. We have uh, the Coca-Cola people, because they know I talk about 
Coke so much. They sent me the new, uh, it's the cinnamon Coke Ooh. and also cranberry spiced, holiday cranberry mm. spiced Sprite. Oh, okay. Well, when you said Sprite, then the, I have a different, like, oh, because at first I was like, oh, but you said Sprite. And I was like, oh, okay. No, so it. I've got, uh, they, they sent me samples, and so we can uh, we can try some of that later on. Because, I mean, look at me. I'm drinking the sample, not the same one, but I'm, I'm drinking the orange vanilla Coke Zero, which when they first put this out earlier in the summer, they sent me some. And so, <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be later in the show. Uh, dopamine fasting. John Moore's soda fasting, if you're thinking about dopamine. Here's the thing about dopamine fasting. It's free. (laughs) I don't usually use my, I mean, when I get home, I'm not on my phone that much. Like when I'm here, I'm looking up things or I'm doing stuff, but I could, I could, I could do that. I could get away with doing that maybe for like two or three days. Well, and like they said, one of the things that uh, you should deprive yourself of in order to uh, replicate this is social media, your phone. Just got to let it go. Let it go. Oh gosh. Let it go. It's your fault. It's your fault, John. I had no intention of playing this again. And I will never play it again from here on out. Because we have a new one today. Oh, jeez. Right, yeah, right. Uh, love this song. You love it because you stopped drinking soda. <laughs> They should just rename this song Dopamine. (laughs) Right. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WPT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WPT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.